it made a lot of sense to my, my young traumatized brain that there is an authoritarian father. And if you mess up, he will punish you extremely. 100% of the proceeds gained from this monetized episode will be donated to sciencesaves.org. Thanks for listening. Jenna, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. I really appreciate you uh, you having me. I really appreciate having you on the podcast. Um, we initially connected because you had seen a TikTok. I mm-hmm. started a TikTok for this podcast. Wasn't really expecting it to do much, um, but it, it at least reached you, which I was very grateful for. And you emailed me. And so I wanted to just give you a chance to kind of introduce who you are, what you do, and, and what we're here to talk about today. Awesome. So yeah, I, I saw your TikTok and uh just kind of loved the conglomerates uh, of ideas that you were bringing together and I thought I fit in in there you know I have deconstructed my faith also um advocate for mental health online and um I figured that it would just it would be a fun a fun fit and uh I'm still listening oh you're fine like technology is not my strong suit despite the fact that I have a TikTok and an Insta and a YouTube and I'm uh, an author, yeah, technology in me. <laughs> it eludes us all. Yes, it does. So uh, which came first, your affinity for writing and wanting to publish a book, your need to assist people and talk about mental health online? What kind of came first? And then how did it lead to the rest? In, in first grade, I was entered in a young author's contest. Um, and I have just always written as an outlet and it changes and has always changed like whether I would focus on poetry or short story or fiction and um now I understand like that there are certain alters that are you know primarily write one type or another but um regardless of form writing's always been an outlet for me to try and understand my world and the world better yeah, absolutely. And speaking of your world, um, for people who are just meeting this podcast for the first time, your world involves being raised religious. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about your background and, and what that was like in the church that you were raised in. Absolutely. Uh, so we went, uh, I come from um, childhood trauma and escaping that we got into um, Pentecostal evangelical uh, spaces first with the assembly, assemblies of God and then with the Church of God, and um, it made a lot of sense to my my young traumatized brain that there is an authoritarian father, and if you mess up, he will punish you extremely. Yes, like I I took this message into my soul. Yes, um, I heard uh, somebody online who was like, you know, Christians don't really believe in hell because if they did, they would be like every cashier and clerk, they'd be like, you need, that was me because yeah. child childhood trauma had taught me that, you know, your parent will absolutely do this to you. And I was afraid for everybody. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was super devout. Um, and just this, this poor little ball of anxiety. Um, we, 
we hadn't, you know, the the education in my family to to understand like the psychological terms or anything. And my mom tried, like we were very poor, but she tried to find like therapists for my sister and I, and there was just not access. And so I poured all of my hurt and all of my energy into the church. Um, right. I have read the Bible. I can't tell you how many times, like it's right. probably in two dozen in tons of different translations. Like I had the big Greek and Hebrew concordances because I wow. absolutely needed to know what I was supposed to do, what I wasn't, how to please my father. It's very important to know how to do that. Yes. Wow. And so when she was seeking a mental health professional to work with you, did she make the connection between your religion and your faith giving you the mental trauma or was the trauma, did she think based on something totally different? Like how did that go? Like what, what was her experience in terms of what she thought you needed counseling for? Oh, well, yeah, absolutely did not connect religion because this was a much safer space than the space we were fleeing from. Got Um, it. So you know, going from uh, my uh, my mom's, both of her parents are narcissists and um, her mom has been described by her therapist as a, a psychopath, like wow, very, very dysfunctional background right. um, to uh, marrying with my biological father, um, an abusive narcissist. And then going from that into the church, like then it's just emotional abuse and it's so right. much less and you don't notice it if you come from this highly abusive background like this this seems loving and caring and generous and it doesn't seem like there's all these strings and things in the background right absolutely i talked to a, a friend of mine who's a cult survivor about that same exact thing how it's so easy for churches and for cults to bring people into the fold when those people are escaping another abusive relationship escaping another scenario in which somebody else in a position of authority was giving them all the rules and telling them how to live their life you think oh i'm escaping this abusive situation i'm never going to be taken advantage of like that again when really you're like i'm so used to being told what to do all the time i need somebody else to tell me what to do all the time and then churches are like we have a father figure for you mm-hmm. here you go but this one's a good father like right. he'll take care of you and because you have these wounds like you desperately want that experience you're, right. you're even your subconscious seeks that out so like people who come from um, narcissistic relationships often uh, end up in romantic relationships with a narcissist because yes. subconsciously uh, they're trying to replay their upbringing with a different outcome, which absolutely doesn't happen. It's and like, so then, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I was going to say, so then you just take that to church. Right. Absolutely. It's like you, in your effort to try and take that power back, what you're actually doing mm-hmm. is you're just repeating the cycle if you're not careful. That's wild. And so you, though, you stayed religious up until past the point that you were married, right? Yes. So tell me a little bit about that. Like, how'd you meet your husband? And then how did you come to the conclusion that maybe you weren't as religious as you thought? So I met the hubs in church. Uh, I did the whole purity culture, kiss dating goodbye thing. Like, we got a wild story. And I won't go into all the details because, like, it's juicy. Like, there's some very, mm, yeah. So, um but so we met in church and uh from the first date to us getting married was four and a half months wow. um 
Yeah. And I had never dated anybody. Um, like I said, that I kissed dating goodbye, like very devout. Had never dated anyone, had never kissed anybody. Um, my nickname in high school was the Ice Queen. Oh. And it was well earned. Like wow. they, I wouldn't even go to dances. Like I just turned wow. everybody down. Um, but um, from the moment I saw this man, I was just attracted just yeah. period and I hadn't really felt attraction before um just the the way my my brain works and uh it was very scary and I was head over heels and I really for me this is part of where I'm like I still believe in a god like looking at my story I'm like this is not coincidence um there's just too much to it but we we get married and moved from Ohio to Tennessee, where he was going to Lee University. Um, it's a very religious town. There's the, the headquarters for the Church of God of Cleveland, which we call the Vatican. Um, wow. So They've never Vatican. reached back out to me. I reached out to them a bunch of times to be on the podcast. They never get back to me. <laughs> oh, no, no. They, they have an image of home. Yeah. Uh, and it's very patriarchal. So I doubt, you know, as a right. woman doing a podcast. Yeah, that's true. Um, Touche. Yes. So uh, we get married, we find a church that for us was kind of liberal. Uh, they didn't have any American flags in the church. And we were like, why don't you have what? a flag? Right? Are they real Christians? I don't know if that's a real Christian if you don't have an American flag. <laughs> Same. And they were like, well, we have people from all countries here and we want them to feel welcome and not excluded because of their nationality. And I was like, oh, wow. yeah. So it was um, while being evangelical and i would say still conservative they weren't affirming um they were um pushing the the conservative boundaries they were very welcoming for like immigration and um and for um the reform of poverty like really did a lot on outreach and it was a small church so it was a good place to land and kind of helping me to detox some of the views i had um but I am, despite like getting totally sucked into church, uh, kind of skeptical by nature. Um, I'm very inquisitive. And one day the pastor's up there teaching on, on tithe. And I went, hmm, having read the Bible numerous times, I was like, I think I need to do a deep dive on this. Because I know yeah. the New Testament doesn't say anything about tithing, uh, yeah. zero. It's give and in the measure that you give, it will be given back. And I was like, okay, okay, let me, let me dig in. Well, uh, that was, that was the domino that started my deconstruction. Uh, because if you look into tithe in the old Testament, there's at least three different tithes described there at least. And one of the tithes states that, you know, you go to Jerusalem to celebrate the goodness of God. And if it is too far to take your 10th, you sell what you have and take the money. And when you get to Jerusalem, you buy, and I quote, whatever your heart desires. And there's this long list of like ox or sheep or whatever. And in the list is wine and strong drink. Then I went, wait, you take a tenth, you save a tenth of your money. Yeah. You go to Jerusalem, you have a giant party in which you remember the poor and the priest and you have all the alcohol to celebrate God. And, hmm. You get an ox, you get some wine and it's a party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like a biblical kegger. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was, wow. I was shook because 
you know, growing up and being taught like how, you know, evil and how, you know, you definitely don't drink. And that's the Bible. Yeah. Clearly, the Bible clearly says. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was my first thought, too, is I'm like, wait a second. The majority of at least American branches of Christianity mm-hmm. are all like, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink. Like we exalt those who say that they're abstaining from alcohol. And, and so when you realize that, like, what did that do in terms of kind of catapulting you towards deconstruction? Did you just so, start to notice like a bunch of loopholes there in the Bible? Well, well, that was like, I was, I was shook. And then I, I tried to bring it up to the pastor's wife and I, the, the reception I got was, you know, very reserved. Then I went, Hmm. Um, that's odd. Um, and then I, the, the next domino was hell. And so I started researching on that. I read lots of different theological books on it. There's so many theological books. So many. So many. Um, And to realize that the view of eternal lasting conscious torment was like borrowed from mythology. You know, it's literally Hellenized uh, from, from Greek mythology and that it was recent to the Christian faith and not at all in the Jewish faith. And I was like, wait, wait, so, so God isn't just ready to punish everybody? Wow. It, it made sense. Like I had been beginning to heal from, from uh, some of my trauma and it, it made sense. But then that was, that was when I could, because I was my questioning my beliefs was no longer tied to like eternal torment. Right. I could really start to dig in without fear and be curious. Yeah. It, man, it's amazing what you can learn when you're not afraid of burning forever for learning it. Right. It's amazing how much research you're willing to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's wild. And so at this point, did you think like, I can't talk to my husband about this because he's religious or had, was he moving in that direction? What was that like? So I, I like to chit chat. Uh, and so I had brought up some of the stuff that I had been like processing. I'd brought up the tithe. I'd brought up hell. Um, and I don't remember what it was that, oh, I was deconstructing uh, the atonement and what the atonement meant because we'd only ever heard of the, you know, his, what is this? The penal substitutionary atonement theory, uh, which is that Jesus's death atones for your sins, like pays the price. Right. And then to learn that there are seven, at least seven, there's seven main atonement theories. And so I'm talking about the atonement theory. And like, so I was like, so Jesus's death didn't have to be for our sins. It could have been for this or for this. And, and my hubs was like, yeah, and you know what? I don't think there has to be a virgin birth either. And I was like, say what like okay I'm gonna stop talking now Mm -hmm. and so he had been quietly deconstructing for several years and uh just hadn't you know didn't want to rock my boat and so then we find ourselves both in this place of like "Eh, this this can be um true without being literal and then exploring together and and all the other dominoes fell, like in rapid succession yeah. uh, as we were doing this together. Um, and it was very beautiful. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's really cool that he's like, he's over there being like, I don't know 
how true this is, but she seems like she's having a good time. So I'm just going to let her come to her own conclusions. And then you meet in the middle. I mean, for only having dated for four months, it sounds like you picked the right person though, right? It sounds like that, that first like love at first sight feeling was accurate. So that's 100%, good. 100%, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the best human and you cannot convince me otherwise. Yeah. And how long have you guys been married at this point? Uh, during like now or when we were deconstructing? Right now. Uh, it'll be 21 years in March. Oh, wow. Wow. We got married that's... at 20, so... Wow, that's amazing. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And so you both kind of admit, like, we're not as into this as we thought we were. And you start your deconstruction process. And mm-hmm. then is that when you decided you kind of wanted to advocate for people and for mental health? Or is that unrelated? Where did you go from there? So kind of parallel. Um, let's see, about five years ago, um, I it was Christmas season, which was always hard for me. And um, one morning I woke up and I was very numb and robotic and I could observe this, but I wasn't feeling anything. I was like, this is odd. Yeah. Um, And I couldn't remember what had happened the past several days. Like I had no memory of, you know, like three, four five days before. And, um, Jonathan would ask me questions and I would just, I would respond very robotically and I couldn't do anything other. I was just absolutely numb. And he was really concerned. Yeah. And as, and I was concerned, but in a a detached way, and he was like, what's going on? And I, I didn't know. Um, I had never heard of the term dissociation or dissociative amnesia. Um, I was like, I think that somehow we've triggered a childhood coping mechanism that I thought I had healed from, but apparently I haven't. Um, and I think I need therapy. So that sent me into the therapist's office. So paralleling, um, one of the, I think reasons it was finally safe for me to start exploring this was because I was no longer feeling threatened by an almighty father with eternal torment. So now it's like, I can explore other things outside of, am I doing everything right all the time? Yeah. yeah. Um, which is so, so harmful and damaging. Yes. Me now looks at me then and oh, the compassion, like, oh, I wish, I wish I could go back and tell her sooner. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. um, So I start on therapy and, uh, right away, uh, there, there were some some clues that I was not going to be the average therapy patient. Uh, the therapist asked if my husband could join us in therapy, which is not the usual request, by the way. Yeah. I was just in trying to explain why I came to therapy. I got uh, so triggered and I, I got drawn back into a flashback, which I didn't know that's what that was either because yeah. I thought flashbacks were all visual. I didn't know that flashbacks can be emotional or auditory or any of your other senses. And um, at the end of me trying to tell the therapist for an hour why I was there, they said, can can your husband maybe come next time? And so I said, sure. He fills out the forms. And next time as I go and I start like getting sucked in, he just put his hand on on my my leg and it was grounding, which I also didn't know what that was yet. But it was keeping me in the present so that I could talk about things that were going on emotionally or in the past without being as sucked into them. 
Yeah. So wow. we started that process. Um, wow. And, and I think that's a testament for him as a person too, that he can be the person who brings you back from that disassociation. Yes. Interesting. Now yeah. with, with something like DID, is that something that you're born with that is later like brought to the surface by trauma or is that something that trauma causes so you can be like at any stage in your life and then it happens to you so there's not a huge body of research um because it's well one pharmaceuticals don't treat it so did which used to be known as multiple personality disorder for those who aren't familiar with dissociative identity disorder Mm -hmm. um doesn't respond to a pharmaceutical because the voices that I'm hearing are not a hallucination. They are parts of self that have been locked away due to traumatic experience between um, with amnesic walls. So like there's not access to them. And um, because pharmaceuticals aren't used to treat it, like why are they going to research this thing that's not that common? though it's about as common as OCD. It's 1% of the population. It's as common as natural redheads. Interesting. Um, right. As, as prevalence, not diagnosis. So like we know, like with ADHD, the prevalence and the diagnosis rate are different. Lots of people right. have it. Yes. Yeah. Um, I didn't know I had it till uh, about 36. And Same. I was like almost 30 when I was diagnosed formally. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we, um, Oh, where did you had asked something and I had segued into Oh, I was just saying, is it something that you're born with or is it something that can be developed? Right. So there is um, a genetic predisposition to use dissociation as a coping mechanism. However, you can have that predisposition and never develop DID. Right. DID, uh, the the ingredients that you need are uh, a insecure or disorganized attachment style. So that means you're attachment to your primary caregiver is, is not stable, um, for whatever reason. And this happens very early, uh, attachment styles develop very early. So an insecure or disorganized attachment style, and then you need repeated inescapable trauma and it can be any kind of trauma. Some people, uh, who have DID, it was developed by medical trauma, which is Definitely. If you're poor, this is something that is inescapable. You're going in for multiple procedures. This yeah. is repeated. Yeah, um, absolutely. The most common trauma that we're aware of that causes this is uh, sexual abuse, but it is by far uh, not the only thing that can cause it. Interesting. Um, so if you're born with the predisposition, but you don't face any kind of major repetitive trauma, it can never surface. But if you exactly. have it and then you face trauma, it can come out at any point. Um, well, so our current theory we'll go with uh, says that every everyone experiences um, a fragmented sense of consciousness until a certain age. So if you've ever seen a toddler, you're going to track with this example where mm. one minute they are having a total meltdown. Right. And then like like a little light flip and then they're fine and they're playing and they're just like nothing ever happened because their consciousness isn't unified yet. They're in little ego state. So you have the ego state of play and the ego state of the need for security. And, and so um, I I know for sure uh, there's play um, like curiosity seeking out, there's like comfort from caregiver. Um, And so we have all these ego states and they're kind of separate until we get to a certain age and our brain like throws a consciousness around it. Like, like an orange 
with a skin. So if repeated inescapable trauma happens before your brain develops this unifying consciousness around your ego states, it can keep them separate and put amnesic walls between them. This interesting that say the need for play and curiosity is walled off with amnesia from a need for caregiver at home where that is unsafe. So I can go to school and learn and play and not be aware that home is not a safe place. Interesting. Right. And so once the brain learns to to grow this skin, then uh, other disorders might be formed uh, like um, BPD or um, I've heard some others. And this is just the current understanding. Like I said, there's not a lot of funded research. Um, So according to our current understanding, once the brain learns how to unify consciousness, you don't form DID. Interesting. That's Mm -hmm. wild. That like compartmentalization. Yeah. So is it something to the extent that, you know, is it something that mostly is developed during childhood and then just kind of reappears as an adult? Or do you think an adult could just formulate it then during adulthood? So I do think that it's formed during childhood, but a lot of, like a lot of systems go dormant. I was, my system was not active at all in my teen years and my early adult years. Um, So from what I hear from other multiples, the, the things that seem to bring a system back into activity are one, a new trauma that kind of triggers the old operating mechanism where this is how you survived these sort of things. And you have something that trips that back into, oh, we need to operate this way again. Um, or, and for my case, it was kind of a little of both. I think, um, you reach a place of safety so that your brain is like, oh, Hey, all that trauma that we have walled off, you're now able to process. So why don't we start lowering these walls a little and you can start processing that. Yeah. Um, which is great because that means you feel safe, but it's bad because that means you have to like go through that all over again. You have to re-experience that. Exactly. Wow. Interesting. So it's like, in a way it's like, it's a compliment to your husband that you started processing all this trauma in his presence because it means he's a Mm -hmm. safe spot for you. Wow. And so throughout all of this, what has your relationship been with your family or anybody that you had relationships back when you were devout? Is it the same? Did it take time to heal? Are you no contact? What is that like? Oh, so, um, it, it depends on the person. Um, I've learned a lot, like you said, about safety through this. So learning that, okay, this is my husband is a safe person, safe enough that all of this can start coming. And then I'm very symptomatic because now my brain is like, oh, yay, let's unpack all of the stuff that we just shoved down for decades. Um, So I'm learning that I have multiple personalities that I have an alter who is an angry lesbian and an alter. Oh, she, she is mad about life too. Um, And uh, an alter that is a a little girl who doesn't remember any trauma. Mm -hmm. And I'm realizing these, these things, and I'm in church and I'm like, if I tell people this, they'll think I'm demon possessed. Oh yeah. That's 100%. Like, so now all of these people that I've known and that I have walked through life with are not safe for me to walk through right. this hugely important thing that I'm going through. Like, Hey, pray for me because, um, 
J.A., you know, the angry lesbian uh, part, she's really mad that we're married to a man and she uh, wants nothing to do with Jonathan and she won't listen to me that he's safe. So uh, I could use everybody's prayer right now. <laughs> like, that's not going to fly. Wow. So and I know that in, you know, in like crime dramas and things like that, they make it a very like, it's me. No, it's me. No, it's me. No, it's me. And I mm-hmm. imagine it's not like that at all. But yeah. is there a time? Do you ever have moments where you're like? I'm feeling more like that person today. I need to like let him know or I'm feeling more or is it literally you don't remember, but he tells you you were those people over a time. So um, presentation with DID will vary wildly from system to system, which is what they call a, a person with, with right. DID. They'll call them multiples or the technical term, like the psychobabble term is a system. Uh, it's a system of um, altered states of consciousness working together. So if I talk about an alter, that's short for altered state of t- consciousness, uh, and is the psychological term for a different personality. And um, so I don't have a lot of amnesia within my system. Some systems have very strong amnesic walls, so they won't remember what another part does while they're out. Um, and this is where you get the, oh, no, it's me portrayals. But the right. thing is, like, if you if you wouldn't remember what you did, not that it wouldn't be like in your psyche, like you're not free from consequences. There's, you know, but if you wouldn't remember what you did for a day, like what would you do? Like Interesting. Right. So for what usually happens when I have little bits of amnesia is they buy snacks. Like literally. <laughs> That's probably what I would do too. Honestly, nothing bad. Uh-huh. I would just buy a lot of snacks. Yeah. Buy snacks and uh... maybe buy a pet from the pet store or something like that. Right. Right. And so even those with amnesia, like you, you learn to trust yourself. It's kind of a beautiful process of being yeah. like, oh, like I'm, I'm okay. Even the wounded parts of me, like maybe they need a lot of care, but they're, they're not going to do anything harmful. Right. Um, so I, I tend to remember, um, but sometimes, sometimes I will have like amnesia and he'll be like, oh, hey, so I don't know how much you remember of last night. Um, because certain alters I will, will have more amnesia with. Um, but he notices switches usually without me telling. Um, so body language changes and, um, a lot of times our intonation, our, you know, speech rhythm changes. And so he can, he can pick us out. It's like knowing an identical twin. Like, right. It look, they look the same, but you know, it's not the same person. Right. Um, so he knows us very well. Uh, when we're kind of blended is like, more difficult to, to suss out because he'll be like, who's fronting, which is the term for the alter that's in control of the body. Yeah. Um, so Jenna is fronting right now. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm the one who fronts the most. I do day to day activities. So um, he'll be like, who's fronting? And I'm like, mm, I, I really I don't know. And then he'll start being like, so you attracted to men? (laughs) Because we have a very strong divide. We have like uh, the the guys are attracted to women, uh, Debbie and Caleb. And then J.A. identifies as a lesbian, definitely attracted to women. I identify as bi. Uh, And then we have the ones that are attracted to men. And so like kind of sussing out like things like taste because that changes um like I hate salmon with a 
deep soul loathing. I huh. hate it. And um, Lil and Anthony really enjoy the taste of salmon. And because Lil and I share a lot of memories, I can remember how it tastes for her. Like yeah. I remember it tastes good. It's nasty. I put it in my mouth and I'm like, nope, does not. So yeah. he can kind of ask some questions and, and get an idea of who's blending. Um, he's like, question number one, can I have a kiss? And if you're like, no, he's like, okay, that narrows it down to like actually, four. Actually, <laughs> yes, that is one of the like, easily one of the ways that he can tell that's really funny mm-hmm. and and so in the initial email that you sent me to reach out you mentioned that you are no longer religious but you are spiritual tell me mm-hmm. about that i feel like that's i feel like that is something i run into a lot is people who escape a traumatic religion but they still find joy in spirituality and what does that look like for you so we have had and by we, I mean uh, the system. Uh, experiences that we can't explain outside of there is a God. Um, so, for instance, when uh, J.A. first came out of dormancy, um, she came at the point that the brain hit the shutdown button. So where we could no longer process the uh, trauma that she held, she opened back up at that point. And to find us living in the house with a man was absolutely intolerable. Um, Like, because all men are dangerous, you can't trust any men. And she is uh, getting ready for bed, like ranting, mentally ranting about um, how like you, like, all men will hurt you. They are inconsiderate. They don't look beyond their own experience to understand what other people are going through. And they, and she's going on and on. And what we can only describe as like God intervening, because it's not like our internal voices of each other just kind of interrupted and said, oh, you know, like white people. And her instant reaction, because like where we grew up, there was a good population of people of color. And because our violence was perpetrated by people who look like us, people of color tend to be like safe. And so she was like, well, n- not all white people. And it was that that pause of exactly. So then not all men. And then she was pissed. Then she was pissed and she was like, wait, Wait, so so you're telling me that there is actually a God because each altar has their own kind of belief system. Uh, she was like, so you're telling me there is actually a God and you, instead of solving hunger in Africa and war wherever else, took time out of your day to drop this nugget on me. Like, can we cuss on this podcast? Oh yeah, yeah, go She's for like, it. She's like, fuck you. Like, and like all of that. Uh, she that's another thing to tell us apart is language, like loves all the words. Um, so, but from that moment on, like she believes in God because the only thing that could help direct her out of her spiral was something that she could relate to in a non-traumatic way yeah. like that. Yeah. And so that really shook her and gave her pause. And then she was pissed at God, but also like, but you, you, you made a good point. Like, yes, white people are the same. Like we need to look outside our own experiences and consider others. And 
but there are those that do make that attempt. So maybe there are men that do make that attempt. Yeah. And um, uh, Jen, who went through our teen years um, and took the brunt of religious trauma, has had a lot of spiritual experiences. I've had a lot of spiritual experiences. And while we've been able to say, okay, this is religion, this is trauma, this is straight up like the worst, there are things that were like, but I don't have any other explanation for this except that there is a loving consciousness out there. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have been looking into all kinds of different faiths and uh, I've fallen into what I call um, same thing, different name. And so prayer for a while was like triggering. And then I'm finding as I'm reading other, other faiths, the same practice, but they call it a different thing. Uh, they might call it like setting intention where you, you uh, imagine this thing that you would like that is not the thing that you have. And then you lift it up into the, the universe or, or if you are depending on uh, what kind of witchy branch, uh, casting a spell where you hold hands if you're in a group and all agree on this one thing and end it with so mode it be, which might I say is what amen means, you know, so may it be. Um, and I was like, wait, wait. So witchy spell casting is, is, is like prayer, especially when they're anointing things with oil and yeah. like burning incense. I was like, wait, so this is the same thing that we're doing in Pentecostal circles. Y'all just call it a different yeah. But because I then had different names I could call it, I was able to separate from the trauma I received and then still enjoy some of these spiritual practices. Yeah. Without being triggered by them. Yeah, absolutely. I've always thought that there was a very important distinction between um, believing in God and believing in religions. Um, mm -hmm. I was just talking to somebody about that last night, how I don't think that um, the rosary matters. I don't think if you say it 10 times, you're going to, uh, if you say the Hail Mary 10 times, you're going to be forgiven any more than somebody else. But I do think that if you feel peace and comfort with your rosary in your hand, that matters to you. Mm -hmm. Or like you said, if you are uh, being witchy, you know, and you're, you're anointing yourself with oils, if that gives you that same feeling of peace and love and, and you can forgive yourself when you do those things, that matters. But I don't think that any religion is overall right, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, now, in that moment when God's voice spoke to J.A., um, J.A., right? Is mm -hmm. the name? Okay. Yes. How, in that moment, what was it about that voice that didn't make you think it was somebody else that you didn't realize you had internally? Uh, what was the separation there? Um, one, because that's not a, like, when you are having a conversation with yourself internally, mm. um, for me, there it's different because the uh if another altar is speaking internally to me it sounds like a, a different voice it's not audible because it is a different part of my consciousness you know yeah. talking to a different part of my consciousness um but this wasn't like our back and forth this was right. like a nugget drop like a mic drop into our soul and just resonated with information that none of us had thought of it because we were all trying to bring her down right because she was absolutely spiraling about right. living in a house with like she was literally in fight and flight 
fight or flight. She was like shaking, like so mad about it. Um, and none of us had been able to reach her. Um, and so for this to, to come out of the blue and just resonate and her not to have anything she could say about it. Right. Like, um, it's it just was, like an intruder. Like, I don't want to say intruder, but it's like if somebody joined this Zoom and started talking to us and we would know neither one of us let them in. I was like, exactly. I didn't let him in. I didn't let him in. I didn't let him in. You didn't let him in. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes and sense. it was very much like that. Yeah, I figured there had to be a very different feeling for that one mm-hmm. for you to not think like, oh, there's somebody else here that I just hadn't discovered yet. Right. Um, it's just another one of us because that does right. happen. Alters come out of dormancy. Yeah. And do your alters have a very similar voice to you audibly? Like um, whenever you hear their thoughts and their words, it like sounds like you, but a little bit deeper, sounds like you, but a little bit more masculine or are they totally different? It depends. Um, So some of them are used to being very covert and it's very hard to distinguish. Mm -hmm. Um, Caleb, uh, we all say that Caleb hides. So like when I first started hearing him internally, I was like, wait, I don't think that was my thought, but it's so like went in with the train and I, was right. like, but I, don't, I don't think that was me. Uh, but then you get like Anthony who identifies as like a very feminine uh, gay man. And he is, everything is very different, very different. Uh, the way his, his intonation and whatnot in inside is, is quite, quite different. Um, so it, it varies from altar to altar. Yeah, I imagine. And then is there a point in your life that this would happen or that you would even want it to happen? Is there a point in your life where they will cease to be? Would you want that? Do you, Would you rather them stick around? Um, I wasn't sure if there was like a, a point in your process and your treatment that they slowly start to drop off or ha- do we not know? And we'll just have to wait and find out as it happens. So this is a combination of answers for that. Like, um, I know I asked like six questions in one there. I love it. I love it. Um, I really welcome curiosity um, because when people are curious, that means they're engaging. When people are like, oh, they they don't have room to be curious because they're kind of threatened by it. Oh, okay. Interesting. They start using the word interesting a lot. Yes. Yeah. So I I welcome curiosity and questions. so right now, uh, the two therapeutic approaches toward um, like an end goal with DID is functional multiplicity and final fusion. So functional multiplicity is all of the alters are there, but uh, information is integrated. So uh, memory loss is not there. Um, awareness of trauma is shared with everybody uh, and everybody is working together. And then final fusion is all of the alters coming together to fuse into one single personality. So we don't have a lot of research, um, but the research we do have indicates that not everyone who wants to achieve final fusion uh, can. And then some people who don't want that, their alters naturally fuse. Um, And also a lot of times because multiplicity has been become our, our primary language. We, uh, if fusion happens in the brain has learned how to unify, um, that stream of consciousness. It's, it's grown that, that orange skin around everybody, uh, new trauma 
can make it revert back to its its primary language. Just like if someone's bilingual and stub their toe, they often revert back to their original language to cuss the brain. Right, right, right. And so this is how the brain knows how to deal with trauma. Um, so rather than for us, rather than focus on one outcome or another, because like some days it's like, you know what? It would just be nice to be like a normal operating human. And other days I'm like, you know what? It's super nice that uh, E doesn't have social anxiety and we have a party to go to and guess who's going to the party? Not me uh, with all of my social anxiety. Uh, so That's our cool. goal has just been like whatever healing looks like. So we, we have been focused on making sure everybody is uh, able to heal the things that they hold and uh, live the, the best shared life that we can. And if fusion happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even consider the fact that at any point in your life, you can be re-traumatized entirely independently mm-hmm. of the trauma that you're healing from and what that would do. And your husband probably just hopes that if everybody fuses, you're at least a little straight, like just a little bit, just like in there, there's just <laughs> the, the, the fuse. It's like, well, the good news is we fused. We're all one. The bad news is I am 100% a lesbian. And like I totally. Just, yeah. well, and he He's already told me this year, he started to say, you know, I think, I think that you're like 95% lesbian. Like, I think you're homo flexible and okay. that I was just feminine enough that it worked for your very conservative brain. Yeah. Um, but no, I, uh, he, he actually is hoping that we don't fuse. Like, he's like, I would miss everybody. Like, Aww. because he's developed individual relationships yeah. with, with all of us. And even if those relationships aren't romantic for everybody, because it's yeah. certainly not for JA, right. um, like he, he likes them for who they are. Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like you have just the most amazing support system. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I realize system that also works. Yeah. He's also a very supportive system. Um, yeah, it sounds like he's just an amazing person. It sounds like you you did exactly what you needed to do in not dating anyone until you met him and then just just getting married to him as quick as you could to keep him keep anybody else from taking him because he sounds awesome. That's what I said. I was like, had I waited any longer, somebody else would have snagged you up because you are a catch. And he was like, oh, whatever. I was like, no, if I die first, there will be a line of ladies with casserole dishes. Like, I promise you. <laughs> that's that's funny. He, he'd probably be like afraid that J.A. would like haunt him. Be like, listen here, you now I'm in you. You thought you got rid of me, but I'm in you now. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Actually, that would be bad because she's into women. She is into women. So all no, the way he, the ladies would still be welcome. Never mind. That's a bad yes. plan. No, um, she's very into women. <laughs> she's very much. Um, well, uh, I I really had a wonderful time talking to you. Mm-hmm. And Jenna, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk to the audience and give them kind of a, a thought to leave with today. And if, say, for example, they've escaped a traumatic religious experience or they're not quite sure if they are religious anymore maybe they're still going to church and they're afraid to lose their family things like that what would you say to somebody who has had a less than stellar experience with religion and would like to find a life and find peace and find joy outside of that i I think a lot of what we're afraid of losing is community Mm -hmm. and that does happen to some extent because leaving the church I left a lot of community. However, the community that I have formed after has been more genuine. I didn't realize how much of a facade you have to have to to be maintaining these church relationships, how much you aren't real. 
about who you are and what you're struggling with. Yes. And so, yes, you will lose some community 100%. But the community that you will then learn and forge will be a much realer and uh, safer bond. Yes, a hundred percent, man. You hit the nail on the head because I was I was just telling my boyfriend the other day he did not grow up religious at all. So he like this podcast is like a wild experience to him. He's like, wait, <laughs> revelations? What's that? Um, oh, so, oh yeah, when he heard about Re- he didn't believe me. He was like, there's not that's not true. You're lying. Um, and I was telling him, I said, you know, I some of my best friends in my entire life are devout Christians, like mm-hmm. some of the best people I know. I said, but in church, my whole life, I always felt like an outsider in children's church i only ever had like one friend and it was usually the same friend that was my friend outside of church and we just happened to go to church together we would go from church to church and i would just never feel a connection with anybody and i think you hit the nail on the head it was pretend it was fake and for everybody else it was real they they acted like it was and for me i think i was just pretending the whole time and i just didn't know how to pretend that it was real enough and and like you said ever since i started this podcast and i started meeting people and interviewing them i've made such a wonderful circle of people that i know and just genuine great talented funny people that I've just, I can just email at any point and be like, I've got a weird question for you, but what about this? Or can you hop on? I've got, I want to talk to you about this. And um, I, I think you're right. I think that that fear of the loss of the sense of community is huge, that brotherhood and that familial feeling. And they're never taught in church that outside of church, there is also a wonderful, fantastic community waiting for you. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't involve, I think we're so used to having to work so hard for our community that the idea that there's a community we don't have to do any kind of difficult daily work for, it's just a foreign idea. Um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, for anybody listening in the show notes, I'm going to post a link to Jenna's YouTube channel, to uh, JA's uh, author website where you can check out uh, there. I saw one book. Is that the only book that's available on your website right now? So I have uh, two. I have a uh, adult thriller. That's a gritty vampire book. Nice. Uh, they are not sparkly vampires. Uh, and then I have a, a middle grade chapter book uh, that is like cute and fluffy and adorable. And it's about a, a rescue cat and a puppy dog. So oh, that's wonderful. like as, as far apart on the spectrum as, as you please. Yeah, but I think it's awesome that you're like exploring all those avenues of yourself. Um, but I wanted to thank you so much for, first of all, reaching out uh, to me in the first place. I, For people who didn't grow up religious, they don't understand like the bravery that it takes to reach out and be like, I want to tell my story on camera and I want you to post it online where anybody who looks at my name can find it. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. And your time and your wisdom and your personality. You're just so fun. You're so bubbly. I've loved talking to you. Thank you. It's been, it's been absolutely enjoyable. Thank you for having me. No problem. And I look forward to talking to both of you. I believe it's Tuesday, the 20th. Is that Tuesday? Um, I think it's Tuesday. Something yeah. like that. I'm talking to both of you next week. There were yes. so many questions that I had for you as I was writing them down. And I was like, oh, nope, that's the one I got to ask her in both. Nope, I got to ask them both that one. Oh, it was so hard to like not ask you questions about your marriage that I know I want to like save for next time, but there will be a next time for anybody listening. And um, mm-hmm. until then, I hope you have a wonderful Saturday. You too. All right. I'll talk to you later.